Greetings. You're listening to the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. My name is Chris Smith. Whether you're a grizzled old salt, pining for the days of wire rope halyards, or a greenhorn, wondering what the hell a dolphin striker is, this is the podcast that seeks to fill the need for everybody's third most favorite pastime. That is, talking about sailing. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. If you're just joining us, this first batch of episodes chronicles the refit and subsequent adventures of my wife Ryan and I aboard our 1967 Pearson Ariel Firefly. We spent two years on the hard fixing up the old girl and took her down the ICW from Virginia to the Florida Keys and back. Cheers. Episode 13, Bahamas or Bust. Greetings. Last week, we left off celebrating Ryan's 30th birthday in Fort Lauderdale and getting ready to cross to the Bahamas. And I want to dive into that whole episode pretty deep because it was probably the single biggest learning moment of the trip. So let's start with the blog. A change of plans. Our alarm went off at 1 a.m. New Year's Day, and we were underway by about 1.30, and we headed down the ICW towards Port Everglades, Bar Cut, and the Atlantic Ocean. We had come from Lake Worth to Fort Lauderdale a few days prior, having decided to attempt the crossing to the Bahamas from a point further south so as to get a better lift from the Gulf Stream. The forecast was for southeast winds, 10 to 15 knots, shifting south during the day, seas 2 to 3 feet subsiding over the course of the afternoon. We passed the last few New Year's Eve party boats as we turned the corner off the ICW into the inlet channel of Bar Cut. As we made our way out the inlet, the flat calm of the ICW gave way to the somewhat less placid surface of the ocean. A Port Everglades pilot boat pulled alongside and requested that we turn south in order to allow the container ship he was escorting to make his turn. With the ship passed, we hauled up the main and working jib, and the press of sails steadied the boat's motion somewhat, although we were still moving around quite a bit. With the southeast wind, we were just able to steer our course, 90 degrees east, close hauled. Our plan was to motor sail the entire way, with the engine running at about a quarter throttle and both sails pulling, we were doing about 5 knots, which would put us into West End at around 2pm. The motion of the boat was considerable, despite our previous experience in, quote, boisterous conditions on the Chesapeake, the motion of the ocean, as it were, was something completely different. At this point, I felt like we were doing pretty good. Ryan may disagree. Our friends Nick and Gilles on Callista left a few hours behind us and were giving us encouragement over the radio. After about two hours and ten miles progress, our motor cut out. I fiddled with it a bit while Ryan steered, I thought maybe the tilt lock had come undone and somehow had caused the motor to die. I got the motor started again, ran for a few minutes, it cut out. We gave it one more chance, the motor started, ran for a few minutes, and cut out. We made the decision to turn around. I didn't relish the idea of coming into West End under sail alone, and our crossing strategy relied upon the motor helping us to make good speed. We turned the boat around on a reciprocal heading and shortly passed by Callista. We tried taking pictures, and it was too dark, but Callista made quite a sight, slicing to windward under Genoa, Maine, and a bright moon. We checked our speed and realized we were making between 0 and 0.3 knots over the ground, having just encountered the edge of the Gulf Stream prior to turning back. We altered course to the west, and as soon as our course over ground indicated that we were no longer being set north by the Gulf Stream, 
altered course for the sea buoy, marking the entrance to Bar Cut, which of course was just about close hauled. We sailed in the inlet, having just a few moments of worry sorting out the lights of the buoys from the lights on shore. Bar Cut is wide and straight though, so na navigating back was fairly straightforward. Upon making the turn onto the ICW, we got the motor started and it cut out again. We sailed a little further towards the 17th Street Bridge, the seas quieted, and the wind started to falter behind the buildings. But fortunately, the motor started and stayed running until we were able to drop anchor at dawn, right where we had left seven hours prior. Occasionally in the course of this blog, I have, if not censured, then understated the occasional stressful moment so as not to worry our worried mothers too much. The final detail of this particular yarn is something that I was tempted not to mention, but it plays into our subsequent decisions. Upon getting the boat squared away and cleaned up, we discovered the bilges were full of water right up to the floorboards. Firefly is a nice full-keeled boat with deep bilges, so that's quite a bit of water. Uh, it took about 10 or 15 minutes to pump all the wa water out manually, of course. Uh, and I set out trying to figure out where the hell the, it came from. Uh, it turns out the hole I drilled in the lazarette bulkhead to run the wires for the solar panels was the culprit. When there is any wave action at all, the lazarette fills with water from the motor well, which is normal. Uh, we fill up the lazarette just about every day on the ICW when going through wakes, etc. However, with the exaggerated motion of the ocean, as well as healing the boat hard over close hauled on starboard tack, there was enough water in the lazarette to just about submerge the hole for the wires, funneling it below and into the bilge. Needless to say, this really scared us. So, we've decided to forego sailing to the Bahamas and are instead heading to the Florida Keys. Ryan did not have any fun sailing in the ocean, and I don't blame her. I fixed the hole, but I'm somewhat concerned that some other nasty surprise lays in, lies in wait should we test the boat offshore again. Fortunately, we should have ample opportunity to sail the boat in the Keys and get every, give everything a good, thorough shakedown. In some ways, the experience has also made me more confident, despite the various challenges, as we were able to safely navigate the boat back through an inlet at night, having never done any night sailing or sailing in the ocean previously. So that's the overview. Um, I've been operating under the assumption that most people listening to, uh, to the podcast here know the geography of the East Coast fairly well. Uh, but just in case, the Bahamas are the above water portion of a huge sandbank or a group of sandbanks uh, that are about 50 to 60 miles east of Florida. Our original plan was to cross from West Palm Beach in Florida to West End on the island of Grand Bahama, which is about 50, 55 nautical miles east. The major challenge is that the Gulf Stream is running north between mainland Florida and the Bahamas, up to about three knots in the center of the stream. So, as we were researching the best way to do the crossing, we came across a rule of thumb, uh, I think in the Skipper Bob Bahamas Guide, which is to calculate your set to the north as a result of the Gulf Stream by figuring out how many hours you anticipate the crossing to take, so the, the total mileage divided by your average speed, uh, and multiply that number by 1.8, which is essentially the average speed of the Gulf Stream across the whole distance. Uh, so the Gulf Stream may run at three knots in the center, but it's less on the edges, um, and, it, and it can vary, and, it, and the width kind of changes, I guess, at different times of year. But in general, you can figure on that 1.8 
knots over the whole course of your trip to figure out your set to the north. Um, so for us, at five knots boat speed, which is optimistic, uh, we were looking at being set about 20 nautical miles north over the course of crossing from West Palm to West End, um, which is a good, which is kind of, which is a lot. <laughs> um, so if, you know, if, if we hadn't accounted for that, we would have been set um, far enough north, even I think that some people make, uh, instead of land, uh, making landfall at West End, they'll go sail onto the, the banks there at Memory Rock. And I think, tw- I think 20 nautical miles is even north of Memory Rock. So because of that, we, we decided to leave uh, from further south at Fort Lauderdale, um, which makes for a significantly longer crossing of about 70 nautical miles to West End, but with the Gulf Stream helping us on our way. The other factor in that decision uh, was the weather. Uh, most people wait for a weak cold front to pass over and the winds to come around to the southwest to cross over to the Bahamas. Uh, usually with winds from a, a westerly component uh, at that time of year, the next cold front is fairly imminent, which means uh, which brings winds out of the north. Um, so the one big rule for crossing to the Bahamas is that you don't want to be out in the Gulf Stream uh, with any wind against current. Uh, and I didn't want to get out there and be going slow or have something go wrong with 25 or 30 knots out of the north forecast within the next 24 hours. Um, also, as we were waiting and waiting in, in Lake Worth, and there weren't any, promise, any promising weather windows in the forecast for, for weeks. Um, so leaving from Fort Lauderdale, the plan was to head straight east and let the Gulf Stream carry us north. Uh, which meant we could leave on a southeast breeze, which was where the wind had settled in for a while, uh, and also gave us plenty of time before the next cold front was supposed to come through. Um, and by heading east, we could, you know, if, if we made good time across the Gulf Stream um, and were a good deal south of West End by the time we were out of the stream, with a southeast breeze, we could bear off and and uh, have a nice broad reach into West End, as opposed to getting set um, north of north of West End and potentially having to beat into it. Um, so we 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 figured we could do our do our windward work uh, early in the trip. So that was our strategy, uh, and I think it's a good one. But uh, there were a couple of, of drawbacks, obviously. Um, and the first is that our, our strategy relied on motor sailing to maintain enough speed to get across before nightfall the following day. Uh, so when we, we started having issues with the motor, we were faced with the choice of continuing onward at reduced speed and potentially having to sail into a, a narrow cut on West End in the dark, uh, which is pretty much no, no choice at all. <laughs> uh, so the second downside to, to motor sailing to windward is that it's it's fairly uncomfortable uh and there's an old saying that gentlemen don't sail to windward uh, and there's there's good reason for that um with both the mo- motor and the sails driving us we were uh we were well heeled throwing lots of spray uh we don't have a dodger on the boat uh, but we had bug the dinghy uh, lashed down on the cabin top ryan was kind of huddling behind it trying to take cover from the spray but uh even with full foul weather gear on uh, we were both soaked within about five minutes of, uh, of leaving the inlet. It's also, uh, you know, sailing in windward like that is it, um, it's much more difficult moving around the boat uh, and going going forward to get the sails, you know, the jib raised was, uh, was fairly nautical. <laughs> but that being said, uh, you know, the conditions were actually 
fairly mellow, all, all things being considered. Um, you know, it was blowing the forecast 10 to 15 knots. Um, you know, with all the sails up and the motor running, we might have occasionally saw 20 across the deck. Um, you know, and the seas were, were two to three feet. So there's nothing, nothing crazy well within the, the capabilities of the boat. Uh, and I'm sure there are plenty of seasoned sailors out there for whom it would be no big deal, nothing to speak of. Uh, but this kind of kind of leads me, I guess, leads me to one of the big takeaways, and that is, uh, we found that doing the ICW is not really a proper shakedown for for sailing in the ocean. Uh, and in planning our trip, I had it in my head that we would be we would be well seasoned by the time we got to Florida. I figured we would do a day hop out in the ocean somewhere along the coast to get a feel for it, and we didn't. Um, and that's because simply it's uh it's a lot easier to stay inside uh you know it's it's definitely it's nerve-wracking heading out an inlet into the big ocean uh particularly when you're when you're a little short on experience um and there was you know doing the icw is great we, we learned a lot and there's a lot of things that the icw has to teach uh but the experience of sailing in the ocean is, is definitely a, a different thing um and as we learned there's there's a greater level of preparation required for even the you know the pretty short trip from florida to the bahamas then is required for for just a you know a ride down the icw so what would i do differently uh, i don't think i would change the general crossing strategy if i was planning on going to west end uh, i think leaving from further south is a is a sound approach um, likewise if i was headed to bimini um I think I would leave from probably Rodriguez Key or Key Largo for the for the same reasons to get a catch a lift from the Gulf Stream, uh, but my attitude would be different. You know, uh, it's a, it's a sailboat; <laughs> it's meant to be sailed. Um, the boat is more comfortable when you're sailing. It's more fun to sail. Uh, it's better. <laughs> uh, so I I wouldn't plan on motor sailing uh, because of the drawbacks we, I, I spoke about earlier. Um, but it's also I, also because I find it stressful to be in a position of relying on the motor. Um, you know, anytime we were in a narrow, you know, a narrow cut on the ICW, or even now, if I'm motoring in and out of the channel in the marina, I'm always kind of looking around and like making a plan if the motor cuts out. And it's a very reliable motor. I just uh, they're like black boxes to me, and I, I don't understand what's going on inside of them. So, uh, so I, I trust the sails. So, with that in mind, I think I would leave at dusk, uh, sail overnight, and if I had to, I would slow down as we got closer to arrive in daylight, as opposed to doing what we did, which was going to sleep, trying to get a few hours of sleep, uh, leaving in the dead of night, and having to stress about making it over before sunset the next day. And I should I should also mention that. Getting a few hours of sleep the night before was challenging. Uh, I was super stressed out and anxious about the crossing. Just, uh, you know, fear of the unknown, I guess. Uh, I was nervous. Uh, and I had a lot of trouble sleeping. Uh, and that was compounded by the fact that it was New Year's Eve and the uh, it seemed like the whole town was partying around us in the Anchorage. <laughs> uh, I would also be sure to have uh, a reliable means of uh, self-steering. Um, after we got out in the inlet, uh, Ryan wasn't super comfortable at the helm, which we, we'd kind of figured on. Um, but you know, I was, so I was looking at doing something like 16 hours of hand steering, which is doable, but not fun. Uh, and our tiller pilot works sort of, uh, I installed it semi-properly, 
<laughs> or semi-wrongly. Uh, but so having something like that uh, or wind vane or sheet to tiller, uh, some way to for the boat to steer itself um, with all the bugs worked out would make would make the trip much more pleasant and much more easier to do, I think. And there's a few other doodads I would I would fix on the boat or change on the boat. Uh, we only had a, a handheld VHF. Um, so I think I would I would inst- want to install a masthead antenna. Uh, our nav lights are mounted on the bow pulpit, uh, but it would be nice to have a a masthead tricolor for impre- improved uh, visibility to large ships. Some way to uh, some way to monitor AIS data would be nice. I think I've spoken about that before. Uh, and then to operate the bilge pump, you have to open the cockpit locker, uh, which is not a big deal under most circumstances, but I can. I can certainly imagine scenarios where uh, that's not ideal, given that the cockpit lockers are, are large holes in the boat, which lead directly to the bilges. Um, and obviously, I would I would want to make sure that uh, there was no way for the boat to uh, to secretly take on water like uh, like we were doing. But the main things I would do differently are, are sail the boat, leave at dusk, and have uh, reliable self steering. So those are all the downsides and the lessons learned the hard way. Um, but the memory that really sticks with me about that, that night um, was after we made the decision to turn around. You know, so there was, there was definitely a feeling of relief having made that decision. Uh, and we felt it was the right one. We weren't going to have to sail into West End without a motor. Um, and then we were obviously proven right. <laughs> we figured out the boat was taken on water. That wouldn't. That would have been a very unpleasant surprise to have figured that out halfway between Florida and the Bahamas. Um, so we turned the boat around. Uh, we put her on a reach. The moon was out. The motor was off, uh, and we went from having having the spray flying in our faces, bashing into it, uh, to just having this this beautiful sail. Um, and I remember having this feeling of awe and freedom in that moment. Uh, we warmed up. Uh, the motion of the boat was natural and regular. The only sounds were the sounds of the waves and the wind and the sails. Uh, and it was a it was a powerful feeling, you know, being aboard this this little ship that we had worked worked so hard to get back together, uh, sailing in the ocean. Granted, we could uh, we could still see the lights on the tops of the buildings of uh, Fort Lauderdale, but uh, but we were out there, we were doing it, figuring it out, um, and it was something. Something I dreamed about since since I was able to articulate a dream. Uh, it was awesome. Of course, as I mentioned before, after about 20 minutes of this, this high, this feeling, uh, I looked down at our GPS and saw that our speed over ground was zero, <laughs> which is a bummer. Uh, so we bore off, headed west until we got off the edge of the Gulf Stream. And by then, of course... Uh, and by then, our, our course back to the sea buoy was, was once more close-hauled, this time on Port Tack. And that's sailing, I guess. So thanks for listening. That's it for this week. Uh, if you're listening to these in real time as they are released, there is going to be a gap of one, possibly two weeks until the nep- next episode. Uh, so potentially not until the 15th of June. Um, I had a bunch of these kind of recorded in the can before I started releasing them, but it's it's, it's finally caught up with me, and uh, and I'm running out of time here. But um, I start to get pretty busy at this time of this time of year at work, and we've we've got some family events. Uh, our anniversary is coming up, so so good stuff. Uh, and unfortunately, you podcast people are just going to have to wait. Sorry about that. Um, 
But in the meantime, if you're listening to this and somehow haven't discovered the other sailing podcast, uh, you should check out uh, On the Wind with Andy Shell, uh, Shooting the Breeze with Jeffrey Weddick, uh, Sail Loot with Teddy J, Single Handed with Matt Rutherford. Very, it's very entertaining. Uh, Stern View, Skipper James. Um, I think that's all of them. Oh, uh, sailing, sailing in the Mediterranean is another one. Um, anyways, lo- lots of good stuff out there. Uh, so, so check them out. Uh, and if you feel inclined and have been enjoying this podcast, um, leave me a review and a rating on iTunes, uh, Google Play, the Stitcher, uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks. <laughs>that's it for this episode of the bonnie boat thanks for listening i know time is my most scarce resource these days so i appreciate you uh choosing to spend your time listening here one of the reasons i decided to throw my hat into the podcast ring is to get in touch with other like-minded sailing maniacs to that end if you have any comments or suggestions you can email me at thebonnieboat at gmail.com you can find us online at thebonnieboat.wordpress.com and remember To be a sailor, you don't need a YouTube channel with 100,000 video subscribers. You don't need an Instagram account with pictures of beautiful people in their bathing suits. You certainly don't need a podcast. You don't even need a boat. You just need to go sailing. Until next time, this is Firefly standing by on Channel 16. occasionally start tacking a tune on the end of these things uh and this is a fiddle tune called garfields aka old time blackberry blossom uh, my best buds jared and swamp roast on the mandolin and fiddle respectively uh, i'm picking a little guitar it's uh it's unusual for all three of us to be in the same place these days but we had a uh, little gathering this past mother's day uh sat around and played some music uh, and the, the audio here is taken off of an, an iPhone video, and I was I was impressed at how good it sounded, how clear it came out. I thought it sounded, everything came out pretty good. Uh, and you can hear people talking talking in the background, but uh, it's, the, uh, it's the full backyard barbecue experience. So thanks for listening.
Okay. Stop it. <laughs>